and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast, episode 101. No, it's actually 102. 102. Dang it! Dang it. But anyway, today is Thursday, August 9th, 2018, otherwise known as National Book Lovers Day. You guys there got we any go. books you're loving on? Uh, I'm lis- I listened to that one book that Bob Claggett recommended, Primal Branding. I listened to the audiobook of it. Good stuff. They talked about it on their podcast, Making It, and it was very good. It is good. Uh, still digesting all of it, but if you, if you, yeah, if you haven't le- if you haven't listened to it as an audience member or you, Chris, give it mm-hmm. a shot. See, now I might love books if I listened to them, but I think I've talked about this before. I hate reading. Yeah, I just can't take the time to do it. I get too antsy. Well, it's terrible for I'm, your eyes. Too. I'm the worst. Reading's basically smoking for your eyes. Is it really? Yeah, <laughs> it's bad for you. <laughs> Yeah, it's smoking. It's like smoking. Yeah, but audiobooks are great. Just throw one on while you're cutting stuff down on the table saw. You're good to go. It's almost as good as a podcast. Yeah, and real dangerous to read a book while you're working on the table saw. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of Chris, what have you been working on this week? Wait, wait. I got Let's a book see. too. I oh, oh you do. Let's hear it. Wow. Let's hear his pick. It's called Anti Fragile. Um, it's by the same author Nassim Taleb that uh, wrote the Black Swan, not the the movie. Um, it's fantastic. It's it's one of those books that explains why smart, strategic people aren't always the most successful, right? Like, I was listening. Oh, okay. Like, you know, it's like you ever seen – I was listening to some news stories about the guy that founded Papa John's Pizza who, you know, mm-hmm. not to throw shade, but doesn't seem like the sharpest tool in the shed, uh, but hugely successful. But anyways, they, they talk about this concept. Well, they're using better ingredients to make better pizzas. <laughs> it makes sense. That's pretty smart. <laughs> um, so it, it introduces this concept of anti-fragility, which is uh, basically like a, a way of thriving in chaos. And then it points out how the world has been consistently chaotic. And it's not always the smartest and most strategic and deliberate people because everything always changes and there's so many variables that it's really about creating these formulas for being uh, anti-fragile and that. Uh, is a huge indicator of success. It's good. Highly cool. Who wrote it again? Nassim Taleb. We can do like a whole link thing, right? Awesome. We can right do on. It. Well, now, Chris, what are you working on? Now I'm working on the podcast. But before that, let's see. So I put up the Lego bent or the Lego coffee table video last week. How did that go? Okay, so it's kind of crazy. Like. Just my personal feelings, I feel like it's one of my best projects and videos that I've done so far. All of the, uh, let's say, qualitative data, so like, you know, people's comments, (laughs) thumbs ups, all that is like super positive, like in points to it being one of my best projects that I've ever done. Views, not too good. Huh. So it's like, uh, who knows? You 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 know what? I think that could be one of those slow burner projects that really get views over the over time because that's out of what your audience probably expects from you to expect from you on a week to week. So I wouldn't cut it out just yet. Having seen the table in person, I was really impressed by it. It looks amazing. So everybody that's listening, go watch that video if you haven't already. Go watch it and share it and tell your friends about it. And if you see somebody playing with Legos, tell them about it and do all that stuff. But yeah, Yeah. I kind of hope that that's the case or maybe, you know... it is the kind of thing that could potentially be like picked up by something else and publicized elsewhere. I think it has that quality to it that, you know, it's only been out for not even a week yet. So there, there's still plenty of time something could happen. But yeah, yeah initial- maybe show it out to a maybe send it out to a few blogs. See if see if they're interested. Send them a little media package with some stills and everything on it. Yeah, let me tell you about this Lego River Table, people. No, That's but right. It, well, so, you know, it'll actually be interesting to see how the next video does, which is 
another project that incorporated the concrete. It was this hall table and it's kind of like a half and so half of the top is concrete, half of the top is wood. It's a lot more aesthetically it's a lot closer to the other things that I usually build just incorporating some concrete so that'll be interesting to see how that does um after that I'm I'm back at it with the plywood again so I got another plywood coffee table that I'm doing and with this one I kind of so it was coming on the heels of all of the uh outside furniture that I built where where I made my backyard look like a chipotle with like six sheets of plywood (laughs) and I was thinking like okay what should I do for a coffee table out here and I'm like is that enough plywood? I got so much plywood. I really shouldn't do any more plywood, right? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. What if I like kind of made fun of the fact that I've used so much plywood? So I'm making, it basically looks like a palletized stack of plywood, but it'll be a coffee table with like a bunch of storage built into it. So I was like, I'm going to kind of like make fun of the fact that I've used so much plywood and, and do that. So that's what I'm working on currently. Very nice. Sounds exciting. Ben, what do you got going on, dude? I've been welding up a storm. So I've been uh, welding all the window frames for the tiny house and got the first one installed, which was which was a big step, you know, just cutting into the container for the first time. I think it was like the first sort of really hands on moment where I was a little bit nervous because it's like the the containers are expensive. Right. You don't want to like no going back on that one. Double and triple checking all my measurements and things like that. And then. Uh, you know, it's 105 degrees outside. And then if you're welding inside. Yeah, what is it in the box? Uh, probably about 125. Um, it's it's ridiculous. <sighs> Plus, you're wearing what welding gear. So you you got like, I have a t-shirt on, a welding jacket over that, heavy gloves, uh, you know, the welding yeah. helmet. And it is, yeah, it was it was pretty miserable. But uh, got the first one done. And I think the, the next ones will go a lot faster because I can just... You know what it is? You just—it's not any one thing. It's just moving more confidently because you—you sort of have already yeah. gone down that path before. So that went good. That was a big milestone. We also got all the plumbing and electrical rough-ins in the floor finished and insulated that, and are are closing up the floors, which is another nice step. Also uh, welded a steel version of the lounge chair, which was a lot of fun. Um, I've been been really into square rod like the solid steel square rod and what i like about it is that the the edges are all really crisp they're not rounded over like square tube is so um and the other really cool thing is that it's steel's cheap relative to wood so i took the steel plate from the first lounge chair and i just made a real simple base for it out of a half inch uh steel rod and used our new Fournay welders, which were awesome. And so we got, they, they sent us a few different welders. Um, and we told them that we really wanted to focus on welding machines that were good for beginners. So they sent us two options for that. Uh, they're both 140 amp machines, which is comparable to the old machines that we had from a different brand. Um, the machines we had from the other brand were about $450 each. And the entry level one is priced at about $190 for the Forney. And, and, and frankly, in my opinion, I think it works a little bit better. Um, I think it's because they're, they're focused on the lower end of the market rather than, you know, the, the super expensive ones. But the other one I think is the one I'm actually going to recommend because it's a three in one welder. So I think one of the most confusing things about welding, which is actually, 
I think it's a good lesson for just business in general is that I avoided welding because there was like, I kept hearing about so many different types of welding and I wasn't sure which one I should start, right? Like I heard like, oh, there's MIG welding, there's TIG welding, there's stick welding. And I'm like, I want to get into welding and steel work, but it's just like, I don't know which one and do I need this tank of gas and where do I get gas and all that stuff. So they have this machine that's about $350 or so. It's the one I use for the lounge chair and it can do all three functions. You just get different attachments for MIG, TIG, or stick. So I think it's a really good one for beginners because you can learn all three different types for you know for what's cheaper than my old MIG was by itself, and it works fantastic as a MIG. It also lets you gives you the option of using the MIG welding part as with either a gas tank or just a flux core wire wire. So you can basically survey the whole landscape of beginner level welding from one machine that's under $400. So um, I think that's, I normally wouldn't want to talk so much about a specific product, but I've heard this sort of pain point from so many people of like, you know, how do I get into it? And like, if I buy this machine, then later am I going to need this machine? So now I'm just going to put it off. People have that weird thing, especially with anything over $100, where which is totally understandable, where they don't want to spend the wrong amount and kind of get something that's in between, but they're going to outgrow real soon. Um, so finally, I think that there's a – I'm excited because now I feel like I have a, a more affordable welding option, uh, particularly the the one that's about $150 to $180. You can pair that and a angle grinder, be under $200, and get into metalworking, which is pretty badass. You know, I think it's actually something that's good to talk about, though, because it's Probably, I don't want to say it's like the most logical or most common next step where, you know, people first get into woodworking and then get into metalworking, but I think it's the most desired next step for like where people want to go. Like, you know, that's what I would like to get into next. And I know it's just a matter of, I'm going to do it, man. You know what? That's the year. 2021, baby. I'm doing it. I'm getting into metalworking. 2021, you're going to start welding. 2021, it's happening. Wow. You really plan ahead, Chris. Maybe (laughs) sooner. But no, it does make sense. People, because there's that idea of constantly wanting to get that uh, that slimmer profile and those tighter tighter angles and everything. And welding just lets you do that. You can get such crisp lines. It's great. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, so Brad uh, Rodriguez and John Malecki were here this past week. Last episode was our kind of group episode with the four of us. And while they were there, we all did welding projects. Brad built an incredible dining table very outside of the box for him normally he's a very kind of straightforward good right angles type of guy but he went funky with this one super tapered legs he used that same square steel rod that ben was just talking about um and that video should be going coming out soon uh john built a couple projects as well a little table and a chair and then i built and am still in the process of building a live edge slab slash resin table um, couple hiccups along the way. I'm not mad about it. That happens when you're trying to change the game. Uh, so I'm trying to make a tasteful river project that apparently us snooty folks will buy into and appreciate. So I found a resin that I will not clarify who it's from or what the, what the product is exactly. Cause I want you to watch the video to find out. But there is a company that makes a incredibly quick hardening resin that dries to a pure white. So uh, a few months ago, I think I mentioned it on the podcast, I went to a 
sawmill oh, about an hour, hour and a half outside of Joshua Tree. And this guy's got all the slabs in the world. Pretty much every every possible species of wood you could want, he's got it. And he's got it in absurd quantities and with uh, just like hugely large slabs. The only problem, mm-hmm. though, is the guy is a little bit of a dick. He's very proud of his setup and wouldn't <laughs> allow me to make Instagram stories or really film anything for the YouTube videos. Really? He's got like a proprietary way of uh, no, cutting no, slabs or something? Not even kidding. Yes, you understated it compared to what he would have said. But he, yeah, he's talking, he's telling me about how he's got this revolutionary way of uh, flattening and drying and making all these resin tables, but he's not doing anything anyone else is doing because I put on my, uh, my charming shoes. And I kind of like, you know, talked to him for a little while and got him convinced to show me what he does. All he, he's, he's basically doing the same thing everybody's doing with Ecopoxy, but he just thinks he's like changing the game with it because he's not <laughs> on the internet. Um, so anyways, a little bit of a bummer that I wasn't able to show all of this off because he had, weirdly enough for being in the middle of the desert, he had a bunch of uh, different types of oaks, different uh, cypress some eucalyptus that grows a lot out here, which is a really beautiful wood. It's got some really great color. But while I was there, I picked up some rounds of olive wood. Olive wood is great. If you've ever seen western red cedar, or cedar in general, compared to maple or oak that has a very round, I guess, perimeter, this one is mm-hmm. very clover-shaped. It's got a lot of jutting in and out happening around yep. the edges. And I wanted that for this table. Basically, what I'm doing is it's a rectangular top. And I'm weaving these slabs together to where they're kind of spilling over the edges. Some are kind of coming in from the edge. Some are starting from the center and, and like I said, spilling over. Um, but all of the voids are filled with this pure white resin. And then I'm building a metal base for it. So it should be really sleek, really kind of contemporary, right on the edge of posh, but keeping it still kind of modern and uh, natural and organic, too, with those slabs. So mm-hmm. that video should be coming out in the next... Hopefully Thursday after this week, uh, I think me, Brad, and John are all going to be releasing the videos that we worked on kind of collaboratively together. That should be a lot of fun, so keep an eye out for that. I've been putting teasers on my Instagram. Boy, I'll tell you what, resin pours are stressful though. I took my time to make the perfect form. I'm sure whenever Mike uh, from Industrial Maker was over Chris, he kind of taught you the proper melamine form making technique. Oh yeah, and we I got tried it. to follow that, but I, I I got a little careless. Rather than screwing all of the pieces of my form together, I thought I could just trust hot glue. But mm. what I didn't realize is this epoxy is so fast setting that it makes such a such a hot exothermic reaction that oh, it, melted it melted the glue it. in the seams of my form. Ugh. So everything looked great, and then after about three minutes, once everything was really hardening, because it only takes about twenty minutes, fifteen minutes we just started noticing this clear kind of plastic pouring out all over onto the floor. So we're getting duct tape, gorilla tape, trying to fix all the seams, but it's not sticking because the glue is, or because it's covered in resin, this whole, this whole nightmare situation. But we were able to kind of get it under control and it came out looking really nice. But I learned a lot in the process. Resin is definitely something that you can, like, you can definitely knock it because, you know, there's a million of those videos of people swirling resin together on Instagram and stuff, but there is still a little bit of an art and there's a little bit of finesse to it to where if you don't take your time getting set up, crossing all your T's, dotting all your I's, you can definitely suffer the consequences. No, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's, it's 
it became popular for a reason. And then maybe right. there's just like a backlash to it because you've seen it too many times or whatever. But Ben yeah. and I actually talked about in the, that in the car today. We were on the way to the steel yard. And it basically came down to the Matrix was cool, but everyone that copied the like flying choreographed kicks and all that kind of stuff for the next 10 years gradually got less cool and less cool. To where to- now... Shows like Jack Reacher and John Wick, where it's like really gritty and less over the top fight scenes are more, you know, intriguing and and selling better. Yeah, that's like the reaction to over the course of a long time. But yeah, it would be then if it got to the point where people like the Matrix sucks. Yeah, because of like everything copying it. What are you going to call the the Matrix is still good, but it's just because of everyone else. What are you going to call the Matrix table? The (laughs) Matrix. It's kind you of know, a, it's something I've been really struggling, and I've been trying to brainstorm with everybody around me to figure it out. It's, it might be a little bit okay. too obscure of a word, but it's the most accurate word would be like, you, do you know what like a archipelago is, like as a landscape structure? It's like the Galapagos Islands, I right? thought it was archipelago. Archipelago? Uh, I might yeah. be saying it right, wrong. Um, archipelago yeah, Balego. I think that would be the closest thing that describes what it looks like, because it's definitely not a river. It's not a lake. Yeah. It's a series of islands. It's it's the island table almost, yeah. What about lily pad table? So, yeah, I like that too, but I keep kind of just coming down to keeping it short and simple and just calling it a DIY modern live edge and resin table, Mm. like live edge slash resin or epoxy table. Yeah, I want to keep it short. Here's five adjectives in a row. Okay, uh, yeah, let me try it again. (laughs) Is this short and sweet for you? DIY live edge slash epoxy Coffee table? It's not really live edge. Short and sweet? DIY. Just (laughs) modern. It just says modern. (laughs) It's not really live edge. But it's kind of funny. Speaking of welding. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Is it really live edge? It's not really live edge. Right? Because, like, the the, the outer edges. But there are live edges involved. Yeah, but they're all covered in epoxy. It's still a live edge. It's just encased in resin. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, Ben is saying because the edges are covered. No, it's a good question. Like, is it, <laughs> it, right? Like, um, I'm sure uh, maybe, maybe we yeah. can do some sort of listener poll. Actually, we should do that. Like on Instagram. That's right. We'll, we'll, throw, a, we'll throw up a poll Instagram. on the Instagram. Name Mike's table. Yeah, we'll throw up a uh, we'll throw up a poll on the Modern Maker Podcast Instagram story the day this podcast goes live. So go go. Let me know what you guys think. Is oh, it live? That's a good idea. No? Yeah. And, and I think the, so. And I want to hear some some good names that we can. Uh, we can pass back on to the audience next week. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so speaking of that, actually, you know, if we were to pull the audience for something like that, I've been thinking about just like, you know, how things have been going. We're, we did 100 episodes. We're moving on. Obviously, you know, any kind of show is always going to evolve. So thinking of ways that like, what could we introduce to the show? What kinds of new things? Or even what do people like that we've been doing so far? So I don't know. You guys have... Any ideas for anything like that that you've thought of? Well, one thing I've, I think would be really cool is it always ends up before and after the podcast. We're always talking about weird things we've seen on Instagram or like articles that are picking up cool things that people are doing. Uh, for instance, I remember not too long ago there was that CNC tattoo machine essentially that was like a robot arm that was tattooing people and it was somewhat successful. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be a cool kind of cool th- those types of things, whether it's like innovations or sort of like kind of like news stories, I guess is what it would be. It would be like mm-hmm. maker news. And you get our hot takes on it. Exactly. Maybe we have our, you know, Channel 5 news intro music. They're like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. 
breaking. There's a breaking tattoo news. machine. Uh, the only problem with that is, I mean, obviously it's gonna it's gonna involve a little bit of preparation. You know, we'll we'll have to make sure we research the topics well. We don't want to go like. We don't want fake news. You know, we don't want to be those guys. Got to make sure we've done our (laughs) done our homework on this thing. Exactly, but I think that could be fun, and it could be it could be a really cool kind of crowdsourcing thing too. If people see interesting things on the internet, they could always DM us uh, and be like, "Hey, I just saw this article, or I just saw this Instagram post of people doing cool things, whether it's innovations in tools or tech, or people using materials in weird ways, or you know, maybe." Companies get bought by other companies, and we can talk about the strategic moves. That's right. What do they do uh, next? Exactly. But maybe that could be a cool way of maybe not starting the show, but that could be a good lead-in into the topic, kind of get the conversation flowing. And, uh, yeah, so if that's something people would be interested in, I would love to hear about it because I've been thinking about it for a little bit. What about you guys? Uh, so, actually, to kind of piggyback off what you said, so getting the conversation going. So I think about us when I – like sometimes I'll just randomly go listen to an old episode so mm-hmm. that I won't remember anything from it. And it's like listening to it as a stranger. Like, or, like episode 30 something. Or exactly. Something like just that. Boom, okay, 34. See what we did. Um, and what I notice, and what we all can kind of feel after the show, sometimes, you know, after we hit stop, we'll be like, Oh, that was a good episode. It seems like it's always dependent on our internet connection. So basically if we don't have <laughs> lag, and we're, we get more conversational and it seems to be a good episode. Whereas if we do have lag, it becomes really hard. And we try to kind of hide that from the audience, but like it becomes weird talking to each other when there's lag and you kind of have to like fill in gaps or guess as to what people have. And it becomes like a series of monologues rather right. than a conversation. So I personally think we're at our best when it becomes more conversational and we're all bouncing back and forth. And I think one of the segments that actually... Sometimes it does it and it's good, but sometimes it doesn't is the what we're working on. I feel like sometimes that just leads to like soliloquies. And I like to, so I'd like to think of more things that we can do where it becomes more conversational. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that comes from sort of, because before we get into the episode, we we do this thing where, you know, people start talking about, you know, hey, what have you been up to? Just casually small talk. And we're like, no, save it for the podcast. Yeah. So maybe it's a thing where we kind of talk about what we've been doing prior to the episode. And then kind of figuring out, so if it were this week, uh, me and Ben have been welding while John and John and Brad were over. We were welding a lot. So maybe that could be kind of a quick, quick kind of intro of what we've been working on, but maybe less about the like the day to day sort of this is what I'm doing than this than that. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is my project. I'm working on it. It'll be up Thursday, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just a thought. Like I, I'd just be interested to get a really candid response from listeners. Absolutely. To see if they said like, oh no, I really like the what we're working on. Or if they feel like, oh no, it's kind of... I always get past it. No. <laughs> yeah, or you know, I see you guys on Instagram and I see your videos when they come out, so I don't need to hear that part. Or, I don't know, it'd just be interesting to get... Anytime you could get a really candid response from somebody, I think it's interesting because, you know, most people that are listening to this podcast are... It's a different audience than like what you get on YouTube. It's more of people who are into what you're doing or like what you're doing. And the people you're interacting with on Instagram is kind of the same thing. So you tend to get very positive feedback. And that's not to say that, you know, they think that there's a bunch that's wrong with this, but they just want to be nice to us or whatever. But I think it would be interesting to get like some real feedback of what people really think. Yeah. Well, Ben, what do you think? Looking back on 100 episodes, where's the future? What are we leaving behind? Um... (laughs) I mean, 
the I like what you guys are saying. The the minute I hear prep uh, makes me a little bit skeptical. Um, just because I know that where the podcast, I think the podcast is the most fun content that we create, but uh, is yeah. often the thing that's done most last minute. So. My, mm-hmm. the the thing i've learned over the years is uh you know don't trust your new year's resolution trust your like patterns of behavior so i'm very open i i really like the maker news idea right like i think that's that's fantastic um the the thing i i question is the what have you been working on that might not be a formatting thing it might be more of the way we're treating the format so it might just be, hey, let's focus on tightening it up, going faster, maybe coming up with sort of like a structure within that. Of, we each get like a 30 seconds right. lightning round what you're working on. Right. There we go. Uh, then everything's a hot take. Right. So uh, <laughs> It's like pardon the interruption. Well, it's interesting, right? Like anytime you propose change, it's you want to be somewhat data-driven and know that. But you might be, but it's almost impossible with anything as complex as, you know, an hour long media that involves three different personalities, right? So it will be interesting to see what is sort of, you know, what are the sort of format decisions versus what is the sort of way we treat that format. Um, But uh, I like the idea of adding, I mean, I think that what's so great about the what have you been working on thing is that it's the easiest thing to remember because it's literally what were you doing like five minutes ago often um, as, as right. we typically sort of record. <laughs> so it, <laughs> whereas like, uh, you know, some article that we may have read uh, a few days prior might not be quite so fresh. But um, I like that thing right. too because it, it leads to a – we're not going to be as the, – the problem I see with the what you're working on I think that segment goes better when it's a project that's already finished rather than a project that's current. It's interesting when it's a current mm-hmm. project if you're struggling with something, right? If you're if you're in the middle of problem right. solving. Or I think it's good if you just finished a project completely and have, are sort of reflecting on it and what you do different, its pros and cons and strengths. Um, so I think it could be some, some adjustments, but I like the idea of the news thing because I feel like we can get more opinionated, right? I mean... It's funny to this day, whenever people are still like random, whenever someone sees something cool that's made with the shaper origin, people like DM me on Instagram and go, see, it is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, no, I think it's awesome. I just don't right. think it's very usable on a, on a weekly basis. Um, I know a few people that have the shapers and love them. Um, but even when they say they love them, I ask them how often they use them and it's not that often. Uh, so, you know, I think things like that like are great because it can it can lead to a a debate and a discussion and you know we can get our skip bayless on perfect exactly <laughs> maybe uh maybe what we need is a fourth person that kind of works as like you know they'll a person who can kind of put that kind of stuff together so like if you watch you know you're i don't want to say a producer but kind of like a producer like they would somebody who could like monitor the the uh, Instagram account and see like all the articles that people are sending because that's the other thing is like it is awesome but it is kind of hard to monitor right that's well, true maybe yeah, that's where we do the get audience quite a bit of dms in. you know that's that's where the audience can come in too it's like if they if they're bringing up topics and things like that and it doesn't just has to be new news like it doesn't have to be like a new invention or something like that i think like a uh, great topics would be like hey 
we heard a rumor that Minwax is leaving Home Depot. Does that change, you know, what your sort of go-to uh, finishes would be there? Another one I think that would be really interesting would be, it's a discussion that me, Mike, and John sort of had, uh, John Malecki, when he was here, is he kept, you know, saying, Brad oh, Brad was you, asleep? Uh, <laughs> Brad was yeah. just chilling. <laughs> John kept sort of insisting that we get a, a can of, of shielding gas for the welders, he's like, oh, it's so much better. It's a way smoother and those things. And me and Mike's tendency is just to be like, well, it's one more step to set up. It's another thing to lug around. Uh, we don't have a big enough shop to have a permanent welding station, so we're bringing the welder out. And yes, it splatters, yeah. but it doesn't take that long to sort of clean that up with a with a flap disc. So that's like a really interesting thing because from a fine metal work and you know sort of professional steel working standard, John is absolutely right. But from a DIY sort of weekend warrior standard, me and Mike have a really good point, right? That this holds the metal together just fine. Sure, it's splattery, but you can clean that up. And if you're better with an angle grinder than you are with a welder, you might just take that approach until your welding skills catch up and then you're like start to notice those differences. So uh, I think topics like that, in addition to sort of news, could be, could be interesting. And so I would encourage our listeners out there that if, they, if this is something they would be interested in us discussing, uh, start serving up some topics or some news items. Killer, yeah. We're looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Uh, you can either DM us at Modern Maker Podcast on Instagram. If you've got a Maker News thing, you can always email us through our contact phone form on modernmakerpodcast.com slash contact or just DM us individually. I think we all pretty much check our DMs pretty well. So, uh, so yeah, we're looking forward to what you got to hear. But let's hop into today's episode. Ben, someone emailed you or no, someone DM'd you with a question for the podcast and it was a good one. What was it? We got a few questions. This one is from someone named Uyuz Ashton. He's got no profile pic, so I'm not going to spell it out. Um, he says, I've got a question for you, this time regarding ethics inside the making community. I unsuccessfully ran a craft furniture business in the past. I lack the creativity and variety I have since found through the greater YouTube making community. Uh, well, I guess he said he lacked the creativity and variety that he found through the greater YouTube making community. Is it wrong to begin incorporating ideas and designs gleaned from content shared on YouTube to start making with the intent of selling? Good question. Something that a lot of people wonder. I like that he framed it from an ethical standpoint because, and if you don't mind, I'll go first, is that this has to be separated into a legal and an ethical argument. The legal ones, you need to talk to a lawyer and have those designs been copyrighted. Legally, you have a right to reproduce and sell things that aren't copyrighted or trademarked or, or somehow protected in terms of their IP. Um, that being, you know, so that being said, it is an ethical question, right? So you absolutely can do it. And most furniture that is sort of amateurishly made is not protected. There are some pieces that are, but for, you know, for the, for the, and then even then you'd have to look to see is the specific piece designed or are techniques used to make the piece uh the things that are ip protected um maybe we should have mike clifford on to talk about that sometime he's since he's a an ip attorney yeah. uh industrial maker shout out but the ethical question is an interesting one and that depends on the person who is the source of the design if it in in my case i encourage people to do that in fact like a few people have reached out and asked is can we make and sell your lounge chairs and i said yes and, you know, all, all I ask is that 
if, if possible, credit me. Not absolutely essential, but it's nice if they do. Um, and if they credit me, I'll often give them a shout out or I will refer people that try to buy them for me and I don't want to build things to sell. So uh, it makes sense that they would let me know that they're making and selling them. So it's completely ethical to use my designs and make and sell them. Other people feel very differently. Um, I've uh, A person I follow who's an awesome maker in the concrete world is Brandon Gore. He's a fantastic craftsman, but he is very protective of his original designs. And he goes after people that, uh, that he feels copies them. Um, I've seen those sort of debates on social media where those people says, no, this was our idea. There's such a thing as parallel thinking. And he steadfastly is sort of, you know, goes after them and says that they're, uh, you know, slackers and design thieves and, and all those things. Um, and that's a really tricky argument because they're, I think in most of the cases he's right. And those people did kind of do derivative things and sort of knock off designs, but it is entirely possible that there's parallel thinking. There's 7 billion roughly people in the world. So it's, it's not that surprising that a couple of them might have the same, uh, uh, same ideas. The other thing that I see is a lot of people acting like they invented things that they didn't actually invent and starting to claim designs as so specific when really they're just part of an evolutionary sequence. Because really, if you think about it, the Ames estate could sort of, if they wanted to, uh, could sort of say that pretty much most of sort of Ikea's furniture is a derivative of a ripoff of theirs. And they wouldn't be legally correct because otherwise they'd probably have a lawsuit. Um, but you could kind of also get it from a design evolution. And that's because they're one of the most influential designers. So, and they were one of the early ones that are really pioneering plywood furniture. So it's a very complex issue. There is no single answer for the ethics of it in my opinion it's a case-by-case basis and the best thing that i would do is if you're concerned about it ask the person absolutely i mean me you especially ben we're giving out plans with the dimensions the cutlets the everything for our projects and i think it's silly to expect people to only build them if they're keeping it for themselves we're giving the people the information we're encouraging to build it so we might as well encourage them to sell it as well um and i think And I think that comes from a standpoint of just like where we are in the space. When you talk about people like Brandon Gore, the people that are too precious about their ideas, it's coming from like this standpoint of, in my head, it makes me think, oh man, this guy had one good idea and he's worried he's not going to have another. Mm -hmm. Um, Granted, I'm not going to say I've had any idea as good as him. Um, I'm not completely familiar with his work. I've seen a little bit of it, but... I think it just comes from the wrong state of rather than looking at what's next and how can I top my last idea, you're worried about protecting your previous one. And I think that's that comes from, I think, a pretty kind of insecure place. Not only that, but like what you're saying, if you encourage people to just be forthright and credit you rather than be scared to mention that they were influenced by you, um, then that creates... Uh, that creates a bad environment for the people that are actually influenced by you and would credit you. Yeah. If there's somebody that, you know, he does a lot of concrete work. Say they were inspired by his stuff. If they wanted to do something that was a little bit derivative, if he was going to if they knew that he was going to come after them and call them, you know, crappy worksmen or bad designers, they're absolutely not going to credit for him. So not only is he losing credit, he's also giving himself a bad look. Right. It's like uh 
I love Nate Diaz as a fighter. I love both the Diaz brothers, uh, UFC fighters, mm-hmm. but they're both always acting like the UFC is against them. Uh, <laughs> whenever mm. uh, Conor McGregor announced that he's fighting Khabib Nurmagomedov, don't even try the last name, buddy. No. I got it pretty close. Nurma- <laughs> I don't. Dang try. it! I had it the first time. <laughs> Nurmi. <laughs> Nurmagomedov. There we go. Just but whenever they announced enough. that fight, Nate Diaz basically canceled his fight or said like my fight's not happening now because he feels like he got overshadowed. Right. And it's 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 just like really childish. It's like the kid that gets scored on in basketball and then just takes his ball and goes home right. because mm-hmm. he's not having fun anymore. But the, the- so it's just about keeping the right mentality and not coming from like this this like scarcity mindset. Right. I think the the thing with Brandon, though, is totally different than us getting upset about it, is that his business model is completely different. He makes the sell stuff, right? So I think the more right. apples to apples comparison, uh, which isn't perfect, would be us like sort of frame by frame recreating one of our videos. And so yeah, that, that happened to me. Like some lady basically did a complete recreation of the exact same concrete lamps, like title it the same, everything, right? And people, yeah. again, I don't care. Like uh, for me, it's like either take decisive action or just live with it, right? Like in between does, does nothing mm-hmm. for me. So I didn't say anything to her. I didn't comment to her. Uh, a lot of my fans sort of like totally bagged on her. But it's like for, for me, my thing is, is it... It did slightly annoy me when I saw it, but then I quickly decided, am I going to do anything about it? Is there anything I should do about it? Is it beneficial to me to do anything about it? The answers on all of those came back no. And then so I said, you know what? Then I'm not going to get upset. If, if, If I cared about that video so much, then I should have legally protected it and gone to every length to sort of do that, right? But I think it's really tricky when people try to have it both ways. If you do not want your designs mm-hmm. to be copied, patent them, trademark them, protect the IP. If you say that it's really important to you, but you don't take those adult steps to do that, then what are you going to do? Just kind of like whine to the community and, and do that? No. Like uh, if somebody's taking from your business, protect your business and then seek things. An example is uh, Ted's woodworking plants or like the wood pricks or any of those those mm-hmm. those you know corrupt sort of terrible yeah. derivative practices there's these sites that try to sell these and they always say oh it's like 16,000 unique wood plans and those plans are ripped mm-hmm. off content there's a lot of Anna White's designs there's some of I think Brad's from Fix This Builds That designs in there and that is absolutely uh, illegal right but here's the problem right and everyone complains about it uh, self included but if it's really a big deal, and I'm hoping this is going to happen soon, and uh, you know, I've, I've actually been talking to pe- some people in the community about trying to figure out how do we start a class action lawsuit against uh, ClickBank. Lawyer which, up. Right. So it's like, you know, maybe we should stop complaining, and maybe we should organize amongst ourselves, create a class action lawsuit. I, from uh, the people that I've talked to that sort of know about affiliate marketing, say that based on the way they're sort of spending and how many people they have staffed on it, they're probably selling a couple million dollars worth of those plan sets a year. Right. And that's all enabled by ClickBank, which is creating the sort of anonymity wall, which is sort of hiding who is actually behind Ted's woodworking. 
you know, it, it mm-hmm. might be the time where we all organize. We all sort of, you know, go through all their plants that they've been selling, track for how long they've been marketing them. And then uh, what you can do is, especially people like Brad that sell plants, you can say, well, I sell these plants for this many things. And then you subpoena their records to make them show you how many they've sold. And then you sue for a court for damages according to your missed out revenue. But here's the thing, right? If you don't take action and you just complain, you're kind of acting like a child. You may be morally right, but your impotence is like kind of not worth anything, right? Like, so either take decisive action and fix it, or, you know, maybe just don't whine. Yeah. So, Chris, in yeah. the same idea of taking, you know, inspiration or copying or where's the line. Yeah. So, you've, you came out from the gate with a very unique video style. And since then, you definitely see a lot of videos that are drawing heavy inspiration from like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Do you Doesn't get mad about me. that or are you just like, ah, they don't do it as good as me. Doesn't matter. Hey, man, you can copy me, but you can't replicate me. No, exactly. Uh, no, I mean, I, I would be flattered by it, if anything. Like, it, it doesn't yeah. bug me or anything. It's just like, oh, cool. If people want to copy it, then I must be doing something right. Right. Um, that's good. So even going back to the plans thing that Ben was just talking about, I've been working um, on coming up with a way to start offering plans, uh, mainly so that I can get in on that sweet class action lawsuit against Ted's and Woodpricks or Woodpre. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's Pricks <laughs> or Pre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what it's supposed to be, but they are a bunch of P-R-I-X if you catch my drift. Um, so it does not bug me when people build my stuff. Um, if they were to sell it, it probably would not bug me either. And you can almost look at it as them like doing a proof of concept for you. Like <laughs> they're testing it, the market for you. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. I don't have to put any resources into this. And if it was going well, you'd be like, well, I would be the one who, if I wanted to, could probably be most successful at this because I would have the most attention on myself or the most people looking for this from me. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of a, a positive spin you can put on it. But actually, I always think the one that, that always cracks me up is when you get messages from people that will ask, actually go as far as to ask for permission just to build it for themselves, just because oh, they want to yeah. recreate it to keep in their living room or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I respond, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, just make sure you tag me in a picture of it when you're done, because I always get a kick out of seeing it. And actually, that's the one thing. So I always feel like we're a little bit overly altruistic sounding within this community but that is like the one where i legit can't say it enough that like i get a huge kick out of seeing anytime that somebody's built something that i've made getting to see them like that is like actually one of the the higher benefits of doing this whole thing yeah it's like the best compliment it's saying you built something cool enough that i took my time to build it like exactly how you did yeah love that yeah I, i i agree plus from a media standpoint you know even if it's someone without a big audience and they're sort of posting it, their circle of 500 to 1,000 friends is, is seeing that and you're tagged in it. And that's, that's great, too. Um, so, no, I think, right. it, totally. I think it's, a, it's just about really deciding what battles you're going to fight, what assets you're going to protect, and then you know, letting the rest sort of not get you down. Because I, I can't say this, this enough is that I personally, and I think a lot of people are like this, actually, uh, I have a really hard time being creative when I'm annoyed <laughs> or upset, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, that, that feeling of annoyance or anger 
is dominating my consciousness so that it's not wandering all around. It's focused, right? I, I find myself the mm-hmm. most creative when I'm like comfortable, well-rested, or actually even maybe like super tired and kind of giddy. But where, where my brain is relaxed enough to move all over the place and pick up random ideas and try to put them together, playtime. When I'm angry, it brings a level of sort of seriousness and annoyance and negativity that I find to be compromising of new ideas. So I, it's not just this, hey, let's just be like Zen and have dream catchers on our wall and rub a crystal whenever we get upset. No, I think it's like a very functional way to be like, am I going to do anything about it? Am I going to take decisive action? Nope. Okay, move on. Yep. Then I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. So what are you guys obsessed with this week? What have you been watching? So... I actually got something I've been thinking about lately, not watching, and that's kind of reorganizing, redoing. Well, maybe I was inspired by you, Mike. You redid the garage that's <laughs> recently, right. but I've been wanting to make my garage not only like a more functional space, but a better looking space because obviously it's like, you know, the backdrop for all of my videos. I kind of like to make it a little bit nicer looking. So mm-hmm. what kicked it off is I keep telling my wife, like, man, I'm outgrowing this space. We're outgrowing this house. I'm outgrowing this workshop. And so then I was like, well, it's probably not realistic that I'm going to be moving that soon. So I should do something to make my space a little better. I mean, it's working for me, but I could probably make it a better space. If I think of some, at least like one or two unique things to do in the space, I could make some content out of it. So what kind of kicked it off and really got me thinking about it was, I've been making these videos for Home Depot's website for the past couple weeks. So they've been sending me some product to basically like do reviews of. And they sent me a like 72 inch mechanics tool chest. One of those like big husky ones, like tons of storage in it. And I was like, I'm not going to use this. I'll just like give it away to somebody. And then I got it and I was like, dude, this thing's pretty awesome. Like I've been kind of falling in love with it. Is it the matte black one? I really want to see how much I can fit into it because I feel like it's a lot that I'm going to be able to really fit in there. And I can probably do away with some of the storage that I have now. And I've also been thinking about my miter saw station that like takes up a whole wall that I really don't use. Like I just like rough cut on it. So I'm like, Mm. I could probably get rid of this. I have to think that that one of those toolbox would actually be pretty convenient because it's all closed storage. So you don't have to worry about dust as much getting into all that stuff. That and it's so much small storage where like I have like it's the small stuff that's scattered all over the place that always gets to me. It's not really like the big things. Right. So if I could use that efficiently, if I ripped out my miter saw station, then I have this whole bay window that... I don't even really care about the window. Like I have a shade that's drawn the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I could fill in that whole bay with like more storage. I feel like I could actually clear up some floor space. Then if I, I'm thinking about, so if you look at my garage, like, you know, what you see in the shots when I'm like working on my table saw or whatever, behind me, there's this whole storage area that starts about six feet off the ground and probably comes out, say like two feet or so that inhibits a lot of what I do along that back wall. Because like, my dust collector, well, my dust collector can fit under there, but um, like my bandsaw can't fit under there. I have my, all of my like wood stored in a weird way. So I was like, if I ripped that out and got those things that like, I'm really not even using the stuff that's up there. And like a lot of it's just other storage stuff that could probably go in our shed. I could get rid of that, clear up a lot more floor space again, do some kind of like storage solution. And that's really what's on camera. So then maybe use that wall to make it a little bit prettier looking. So I don't know. That's what I've kind of had my wheels turning on that lately. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Any kind of 
funky storage solutions I think are going to do really well. Uh, that's yeah. what, I mean, my garage storage system video, whatever you want to call it, both videos are doing really well. I think that's something that a lot of people can totally benefit from. So I say go for it. Nice. And any kind of unique shop project too. I think everyone can kind of get a little bit tired of another assembly table video or another shop cabinet video. But if you can have, have some, ugh. but if you can add some cool features or, or some kind of twist to it, I think there's a big value added there, especially right. since you're in a smaller shop. And you're using large tools. Yeah, I mean, I think that people have done a really good job of covering and putting out content out there about like the efficiencies and the utility of it. So yeah, that's and, and I'll probably, you know, make my own takes on a lot of that. So I don't know if that stuff will be video worthy or not. But what I'll try to do, like, for example, with the the bay window thing, like that would be something weird because it's a very custom size to me and to my specific um, garage. But if I can do something that like is a cool aesthetic, you know, maybe like, I don't know, some kind of door design or something, I'll I'll have to think about it and really figure out what I'm going to do. But it could be something that's like kind of at a weird space where it's not nice furniture, but it's nicer than shop furniture. Just like something you could do that like brings a cool new aesthetic to it. That's probably the way that I'll try to approach it. Totally. I like it. Well, I've got mine for this week and it is fallen Joshua trees and cacti. (laughs) Being out here in Joshua Tree, pretty much one of the first things we did, aside from going to the park, was go around to a few empty commercial lots and seeing what kind of fallen vegetation there was, that and what was growing. So we could kind of plan some projects around it. And we saw a couple of cactuses that have some interesting kind of structures to them. But for the most part, I kind of totally wrote off Joshua Trees, or, or at least the fallen Joshua Trees, as non-usable for projects just because... When you step on it, it basically disintegrates. It's mm. very similar to like what a palm tree would be, where it's very fibrous and it's technically a, uh, technically a grass than a tree. But we went out to the park. Uh, what was that? Yesterday for my birthday. It was Happy very birthday. fun. We ran around the rocks and uh, talked about stuff. And it was, uh, it was a pretty cool experience. And while we were there, we kept finding fallen Joshua trees. A lot of them that were very weather eroded and had a ton of, a uh, ton of what I guess, holes and voids and cracks and splits that could just eat up resin, whether it was a solid color or a clear color. I think it would be uh, basically what we were talking about is it would be a very dramatic process, um, mm-hmm. just seeing how we could get all of these cavities filled without a giant stabilizing pot, kind of similar to what Peter Brown uses. That. Uh, content I think would be really interesting along with stabilizing what would otherwise be a piece of wood that's so brittle you couldn't do anything with it otherwise yes they're they're pretty interesting they kind of look like a cross between 3d printing and eroded like geology like they're they're pretty crazy looking structures uh very sinewy driftwood colored things but yeah I think there's there's some potential there and I think if we look around on my property, Mike, I think we can find some some fallen pieces that we can use. So the park rangers totally. don't go after you. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, I think that's a federal like trick offense. to try to get them. <laughs> yeah. There was one perfect piece that was like right in the middle of one of the walkways. It's like, I want to do something with this one. Nope. But they're like, no, Mike, you can't take that one. <laughs> can't but I want take, to. Can't I'm take vegetation it. from national parks. It's a no-no. You can't fly drones there either. Um, but yeah, no, that was yeah. a... That was a lot of fun. Really good climbing session. Um, 
we got into the park right around like five and me, Mike and Jesse probably did about probably three hours of climbing. Um, I think there's some, some pretty good images floating around on our stories and Instagram accounts, but, uh, yeah, there were some pretty difficult climbs, uh, got a little scraped up, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. It's exactly what is great about being out here is the sort of bouldering, climbing, hiking stuff. There's just, it's just unlimited supplied and there's the terrain is so varied and diverse. It's, it's, it's really fun. As for me for obsessions, uh, well, I already covered the book, Anti-Fragile. Check it out. It's great. Um, there, I covered the Forney Welders, the the three-in-one. If you're looking for, if you really want to get into welding, either get the, the 140 MIG for about 150 bucks, or the $350 three-in-one 140 uh, amp machine. That yeah, while do. we were talking, I checked the uh, Amazon, and it is the basic 140 is 199 which is awesome. still a great price. Great awesome. price. And so, you can, and it's prime shipped, so that's free shipping. Awesome. So check those out. It's the it's the welding solution that I've been looking for for a long time, which is why I haven't done DIY welding projects. I've always just sort of you know done a few here and there, but not really gotten into it as a as a steady flow of of DIY stuff. So that's great. The TV show Succession is pretty solid. It's kind of like The Office, but with like really rich people, but kind of equally competent people. Um, it's, it's a little slow. It, the four, if you can make it to the fourth episode, it gets really good. Um, and then from there it's, it's, yeah, it's just outstanding. So that's the, the, the other recommendation. And, oh, the last one is more of a research project that I'm into. So I've been doing all this welding, which has led me to be very dissatisfied with welding jackets or maybe more welding shirts. So there's welding jackets, which are often like leather and really heavy duty and really protect you, but super hot because you're wearing like a, you're wearing like, you know, like the leather that they make work gloves. You're wearing a jacket that's made out of that kind of thick leather. It's 105 degrees outside. It's 120 degrees in a steel box that I'm welding in. That jacket, those, no, this is not happening. So I've been welding more of the, the typical light welding shirts which is just the most scratchy and repugnant material, right? Like, so if you go to like the welding section of like Home Depot or like a a steel supply place, they'll have these like kind of stiff polyester blend feeling shirts. They're often that weird green or black. Um, They're really terribly fitting. They kind of do the trick. Like if a spark hits it, it won't catch on fire and it keeps most of them off. If a big spark hits it, it'll kind of, you'll, could get a, a small burn through it, but for the most part, is is pretty protective. They're, I prefer them over the leather jackets, just because I'm not doing anything that heavy duty and they're not as hot. But the they're still just not like a good fit. So I've been doing a little bit of research for like, okay, is there like a cool welding op, uh, jacket option? And I found like Carhartt makes like a fireproof like button shirt, which is. It's certainly more comfortable and better fitting than those like welding shirt jacket things, but uh, I'm not sure how protective it is. So if there's anyone out there that kind of really knows about the different you know scales of these things or has found a really cool welding jacket, uh, hit me up in my Instagram uh, direct messages because uh, that's also something that we're tentatively looking into for Maker Brand is maybe if we can't find a good option for this, well, then maybe this is something we develop cooler welding jackets. 
So tell us about the features you would like to see. Absolutely. Something you can weld in, but then also not be self-conscious about going uh, to grab to a beer. To the club. Oh. Yeah. Did you say the pub? I said to the club. Oh, to the club. Maybe not oh, the but club, yeah, but pub. maybe the, the pub. pub. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, awesome, guys. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure, hit us up on Instagram. If you're not following us, we are at Four Eyes Furniture, at Modern Builds, at Benjamin Ueda, and at Modern Maker Podcast. A little pause <laughs> there for dramatic effect. Nice. Not because I almost forgot it. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Like I always say, that just lets the podcast app know that we are good and that they should be feeding it to new listeners. Speaking of, if you're a new listener, we're all on YouTube as well. Chris, you're Four Eyes Furniture, right? Or That's is right. your your actual... It's technically Chris Salamone 1, but if you search Four Eyes Furniture, you'll find me. That's right. If you search <laughs> Homemade Modern, you're going to find Ben. And if you search Modern Builds, you're going to find me, Mike Montgomery. Yes, that's my name. Find us, watch our videos, follow us on Instagram, hit us up. And until next time, this has been the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Later. Bye.